want to read a couple of nominations for the best paragraph ever written. On the serious side, here's one nomination. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No surprise to me that that would be nominated. A second one that had been a paragraph nominated for the best paragraph ever written is a bit different. The tax office has assessed your claim and details of your refund are found below. Well, both of those are important to us uh, for very, very different reasons. But neither of them should be anywhere even close to the list of the best paragraph ever written because there are paragraphs that are so much better that will last forever and have eternal ramifications. We looked at one such paragraph last week. Many Bible scholars have said it is the best paragraph ever written. I don't know if I want to say that because there are a lot of best paragraphs. But listen to how much more significant this paragraph is and meditate upon how great Christ is as I read it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or satisfaction in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." That is Romans 1, 21 to 26, and that doesn't even belong in the same zip code with those other great quotations. Romans 3, 21 to 26 is absolutely astonishing. It is staggering to the human mind. It's not just staggering to the human mind. Those realities we would know biblically are staggering to the angelic mind. That God, being perfectly holy and righteous, having every right, as we saw last time, to judge sinners for an eternity as we've rebelled against Him, doesn't. Because He's also loving and kind. Kind enough to come here, live a righteous life for us, obey the law for us, die a sinner's death for us, rise again for us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the best news any of us has ever even thought about hearing. Especially so in light of the rest of Romans. That's Romans three twenty-one to 26. But if you've been here very long at all or you know the Bible very well at all, you know that that comes after chapter 1, verses 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, which is about our sin and about our violation of God's standards and how no one does good, no, not one, and it gets more and more intense and more and more repressive and more and more difficult to deal with. 
because we're guilty. And then Christ is our propitiation, our satisfaction that He died to satisfy the justice of God. As I said last time, I'm sure, as I've been saying my whole life since I've become a Christian, it doesn't get any better. It's no wonder it's called the good news. If I've ever been tempted to add to God's Word, it's when I hear the Gospel called the good news because it's great news. It's the best news. It's news worthy of news. It's, it's absolutely astounding and amazing. And when we hear the kind of news that we hear in chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, and we really begin thinking about it as we did last time, it does bring up questions. It it does raise questions in our mind about what are are the implications? What are the ramifications of, of having our sins propitiated? Having God's wrath propitiated through the death of Christ? What are the implications of being saved, uh, in effect, by grace and only by grace? And through faith and only through faith in the finished work of Christ and only in the finished work of Christ, I've got questions. I'm thinking of ramifications. I'm thinking of implications as no doubt you are as well. That brings us to Romans 3.27. This morning we'll look at Romans 3.27 to 3.31 to the end of the chapter and what we will look at are three, let's call them provocative reflections. Three provocative reflections that come as a result of learning that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. I want to call them provocative because, again, these are the kinds of questions that naturally come about and they're a bit stirring. Perhaps they make us a bit uncomfortable. They push us out of our comfort zone a little bit, thus they are provocative. Let me give you those three now by way of preview, but you should just know that we'll only do the first one today. It's so provocative, we'll only do the first one. Number one, proud and Christian don't belong in the same sentence. That's the first provocative reflection. Proud and Christian don't belong in the same sentence. And we'll focus on that this morning. Number two, one God means one way of salvation. One God means one way of salvation. That has been a provocative conclusion throughout the ages and it is no less provocative today. Especially given our our increasingly pluralistic society. Number three, Jesus is the key to the Old Testament. Jesus is the key to the Old Testament. And that might not be very provocative in the uh, safety of your own house. Um, But on a global scale, to say Jesus is the key to the Old Testament, that's pretty provocative. And these reflections come about as a result of what the text says. Number one, proud and Christian don't belong in the same sentence. Here we go. Look at verse 27 with me, if you would. Where then is boasting? In other words, if Christ has done all of this, Where are the self-righteous people? Where are the braggarts? Where are those who boast in human goodness? Where are those people who say they're better than other people are? Where are those people? let's, Let's send out a search and rescue team. Let's try to locate people who are like that. Where are they? Well, the answer comes in verse 27. I made mine in, you know, 
humongous font, it is excluded. It's simple, but profound. Where are these people in light of what Christ has done and it's only by Christ's work? Where are the people who boast and brag and say, look at me, I'm different? They're not to be found. You can't find any. It's excluded. There's no boasting. There are no bragging rights. There's, there's no me comparing myself to someone else and saying, I'm better than he is, or better than she is, or better than you are in God's eyes. This is absolutely humbling. The simple yet weighty point that is made, where then is boasting? That's a provocative question. Where is it? It's nowhere. It's, it's excluded. It's, it's gone. There's no room for it at all. And then he just says the same thing in effect. Don't be intimidated by the legal type verbiage. Remember, this needs to be a legal kind of context because we're talking about the righteousness of God and His law and how we're law breakers, but Christ is the law keeper and He keeps it for us. So God declares us righteous based upon Christ's righteousness, even though we're not. That's justification. It's a very legal context. So he's going to use some legal verbiage, but don't be intimidated by it because if you read it in context, it'll make sense. Verse 27 goes on to say, toward the end there, by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. I think the NIV, though it's not as literal, gives us the idea perhaps clearer by saying, on what principle? On what principle is this true? On the principle of works? No, but by the principle or the law of faith. And then if there's any confusion at all, verse 28, Removes any doubt. For we, and I have to just say how much I appreciate the fact that he says that, as if to say, not just me as an apostle, not just in my little group of people, in my little denomination, if you will, but, but, but we, as in this is an agreed upon Christian truth. This is true, and everyone in the Christian community who's truly a part of the Christ, Christian community believes this. For we, all Christians, maintain... Don't miss verse 28. It's the most important thing. That a man is justified, declared righteous, by faith apart from works of the law. There you have it. You know what it all comes down to? You know why there is no room for boasting? It all comes down to this gospel truth. That a man, we've learned that that man is a sinful man, talking about the entire human race, is justified. Well, how can that be? There's no way that it could be Romans 1, 2, and 3a, but we maintain this, and everyone who's a Christian should maintain this, that a man, a sinful man, is justified, declared righteous, even though they're not, by how? What does it say? By faith, apart from works of the law. By faith in Christ. By faith in the finished work of Christ. That's the context. That means there's no boasting. There can't be any boasting. The reason why there can't be any boasting is because we're justified not by what we do, but by what Christ did, and we have faith in Him, and it's apart from works. And by the way, Martin Luther got himself in trouble when he translated this because he added a word. I think that's a foul. He shouldn't have done it. He got in trouble rightfully so on one level. Because when he translated this, he translated it, a man is justified by faith, and he guesses, alone. Well, that word isn't in there in the Greek text. 
And so he got a good scolding from the Roman Catholic Church because he's adding to the Bible. Martin Luther says he wants to be so biblical, he adds to the Bible, look at those Protestants. Look at Martin Luther. Well, as an interesting historical note, going back further than Luther, Origen, the Roman Catholic, did the same thing. He shouldn't have done it either because you shouldn't add to, try to have a literal translation. But the reason Origen put it in there, the reason Luther put it in there, is because, interpretively, it belongs in there. If you're interpreting the Bible, translating the original text in a thought-for-thought, idea category, instead of a literal way, like the NIV does, by the way, alone is certainly in there because look at it again. What does it say? A man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And if you're justified by faith apart from works, guess what? It's legitimate to say that you're justified by faith, what? Alone, because there's nothing you do, so it's only faith in the finished work of Christ. So a little historical tidbit there, interesting point of view. But the idea is actually right. There's no boasting because it's faith in Christ and only faith in Christ because it's not faith in Christ plus what I do. Which means, therefore, it's all of Christ. And you see the logic in this. It couldn't be clearer. If it's all of Christ, then what business has Pat doing one of these with his you know, arms going, look at me. No business at all. No business before God bragging, boasting, I, 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 I. No business on a practical level in front of you boasting. On a vertical level, no boasting. Horizontal level, Christian living, no boasting. There's just no place for it. There's no place for spiritual pride whatsoever. As Tyler mentioned earlier, appropriately, the only thing we contribute to this whole thing is our need. The only thing we contribute to salvation, which really isn't even contributing to salvation, is our sin. That's all. Because the only way we're justified through the finished work of Christ. And so He gets all the praise, He gets all the glory, He gets all the credit. And so we gather like this, worshiping Him. This is basic Christianity. This is Christianity 101. This couldn't get more basic. This isn't anything new. Uh, This isn't something we've come up with. This isn't something that started at the Reformation. Um, It's always by grace, only through faith, in Christ, period. C.S. Lewis appropriately inquired along these lines, how is it that people who are quite obviously eaten up with pride can say that they believe in God and appear to themselves very religious? Probably writing when he was writing, he means very Christian. How can they say they believe in God and, 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 and they're very Christianly, if you will, and they're very prideful? How can this be? He's on to something. Listen to what he goes on to say. I'm afraid it means that they are worshiping an imaginary God. They theoretically admit themselves to be nothing in the presence of this phantom God, but are really all the time imagining how He approves of them and thinks them far better than ordinary people. That is, they pay a penny worth of imaginary humility to Him and get out, it, get out of it a pound's worth of pride toward their fellow men. And so he draws this conclusion. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel better than others, makes us feel 
like we're good. Above all, that we are better than someone else. I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. Something to think about. Sure would be consistent with Romans 3. If it's all God's grace shown to us in the perfect work of Christ on Calvary's cross, who gets all of the credit? God does. Worthy is the Lamb, as the Bible would say. And so we gather not to congratulate each other, We gather to congratulate the perfect triune God for the great redemption that He's provided. This fuels our living. This fuels our serving. This fuels our everything. It is all about Him and there is no place whatsoever for boasting. It is all gone. Now, if I may, let me speak in the sense of shoulds. This should transform Omaha Bible Church, right? On the horizontal level. I mean, this should change everything about Omaha Bible Church. The way I treat you, the way you treat me. I mean, this has huge ramifications because I have no basis upon which to be arrogant, prideful, seeing myself as better than you. We're equally depraved sinners who deserve to go to hell forever. And God has been amazingly gracious and we don't have to go. Not only do we not have to go, we have Christ's righteousness and it's ours. And now we are kings and priests in God's economy. And now all of a sudden we're guaranteed all of the riches. They're ours in Christ and we are co-heirs in all of this. It's absolutely amazing. And there's no way I can get off thinking I'm somehow better than you and you can't think you're better than the person you're by or better than me or anything like that. This should have a huge, huge transforming impact. And I trust it does to a certain level. It should have a huge, huge, huge transforming emphasis, should, on the way that we think about God, on the way that we talk, on the way we deal with unbelievers, on the way that we praise God with music, the songs that we write, the way that we preach sermons if we preach sermons. It should change Everything, and I keep saying should, 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 because too many times what happens is we read this, we read Romans, we memorize Romans, we do all this stuff, and then we live like we're better than other people. We do ministry like we're better than other people. We talk to God like somehow we deserve it. We deal with difficult times like somehow we deserve better. And the list could go on and on and on. So what I would like to do for the rest of our time together is not go any further. I hopefully, I'm going to put on just an an extraordinary desire to be pastoral and say, you know, since it should, 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 how, how about if we try to just stay here? And and maybe even build up our thinking in this regard. Let's fortify our current understanding. Most of you would say, I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and I'll go to the wall for that. That's why I'm at Omaha Bible Church. And I say, amen, I'm so glad you're here. And most of you would say, there's no room for boasting at all in the spiritual realm. And I say, amen, I'm so glad. And I do too. But the way we talk and the way we think and the way we act with each other, relationship to God, 
It doesn't always show itself to be that way. So, so let's make sure we understand. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about faith, Christian faith. And perhaps unturn some stones that are there in your garden that need to be dumped over to help you understand faith better, to help me be reminded of, of faith better as it would relate to the cross. Let, let's, let's go into the deep end a little bit more here, hoping that we get it better so it translates into different living and different praising. I'd ask you if you think it sounds like a good idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. So this is what we're going to do. I have a list of, of four truths about faith. Given that this passage is teaching us that it's by faith alone that we are justified, so don't brag, don't be an arrogant person, don't be prideful. But let's make sure maybe we understand faith perhaps better than we did when we came or be reminded of these things. The first truth about faith I want to mention to you, and I hope it comes out of a sincere pastoral heart, is that faith is not the object of Christian faith. Maybe a little bit heady, maybe a little bit more than you're ready to think about, but just think about it for a moment. I'll explain it. Faith is not the object of Christian faith. That is to say, for us as Christians who believe the Bible, who read Romans 3, and we say, yeah, that's a great paragraph. We believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That means we don't believe that faith is the actual thing that saves us. Let me, let me dramatize a little bit for you. That means we don't go on and on and on and on talking about how we're saved by faith and 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 we're saved by faith. And, by faith. and did you know we're saved by faith and faith alone? And here I am up front as the preacher, and I just say it 20 different times, 40 different times, and I just keep saying, you've got to remember we're saved by faith and only by faith. And then I'm the music leader, and I get up and say we're saved by faith and only by faith. Isn't it great that we are saved by faith? And now I'm talking to other people, and you know what? We've got to remember this. We're saved by faith. You know, it's not of works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. This happens. I've heard it. If we don't ever somehow fill in the context of what we mean, faith is the Savior. Faith is the object of our faith. We're putting faith in faith. We're trusting in trust. It doesn't make any sense. It's like Star Wars faith, maybe. It's somehow the force. This somehow inanimate, subjective idea thing. And if we believe in that, then it's going to... What we need to do is, we're saved by faith, remember. And it's only by faith in the finished work of Christ. It is in the cross. We believe in Christ. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Yes, 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 yes. But don't forget to speak much of Jesus. Don't forget to speak much of the cross. We're saved by faith, yes. Keep saying that because it's not of works, but we're not saved by faith in faith. And we give that impression to people sometimes when we forget to say, in Christ. And I'm afraid that not only are we giving the wrong impression, we might actually be believing that we're saved by faith 
Period. And you know, when you really push that a little bit, that seems a lot like us concluding we're saved by faith, and if it's my faith, and I'm saved by my faith, period, I'm the object of my faith. And I'm my own Savior. Now, maybe none of us would mean to imply that, but the way we talk sometimes reveals a lot about us. And if that's the case, I can boast. I can brag. Remember, it is faith in Christ as our substitute. It is faith in His resurrection. Faith means dependence. We're trusting in Him. Please, please speak much of Christ. It's His finished work, not the finished work of my faith. It's all about Him, and therefore we exalt Him. We don't exalt our faith. And by the way, I'm not saying anything that Romans doesn't say. Even though we looked at that text, and it says we're justified not by, by, by faith and not by works, the context is Christ. Look with me if you would. Go ahead and see. See it in Romans 3.22. Even the righteousness of God through faith... Now, if there was a period there, you could take issue with everything I've been saying. But it's not there. Through faith in, oh yeah, object of faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace. Notice that the faith is not the object. Grace is not the object. Through the redemption, which is in, there's the object of our faith, which is what makes it great, Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. That's objective outside of us. In, there's the object His blood through faith. Then at the end there, if you drop down to verse 26, it says, For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith, period. No! Faith in Jesus! He's to be praised. He's to be worshipped. We've got to remember to speak of Him because if we're really thinking of Him as what is so great, we won't just constantly and incessantly be talking about our faith. One of my favorite preachers is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, medical doctor turned preacher. I probably quote him too often. Uh, I would encourage you to listen to his messages. I think they put one on uh, a week. You can find it on iTunes. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to what he says about this. Faith is nothing but the instrument of our salvation. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that we are justified because of our faith. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that we are justified on account of our faith. The Scripture never says that. The Scripture says that we are justified by faith or through faith. Faith is nothing but the instrument or the channel by which this righteousness of God in Christ becomes ours. It is not faith that saves us. What saves us is the Lord Jesus Christ and His perfect work. It is the death of Christ upon Calvary's cross that saves us. It is the perfect life that saves us. It is His appearing on our behalf in the presence of God that saves us. It is God putting Christ's righteousness into our account that saves us. This is the righteousness that saves us. Faith is but the channel and the instrument by which His righteousness becomes mine. The righteousness of, is entirely Christ's. My faith is not my righteousness, and I must never define or think of faith as righteousness. Faith is nothing but that which links us to the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness, which I trust is what I've been saying. We probably don't do it on purpose, 
but we forget about Jesus sometimes. And apart from Jesus, your faith is no good. So this goes back to, if we really focus on Calvary and the finished work of Christ as the object of our faith, it's going to get us yet one step closer to not bragging, not boasting, because it's not in our strong faith. It's in our strong Savior. He is what sustains us. And we'll treat each other differently as well. Shifting gears just a little bit, another truth about faith that's important that we, need, that we need to be reminded of, I believe. We do this one quickly. Remember, faith in the Bible is not a work. Remember that faith in the Bible is not a work. This is really obvious. We saw it right there in our text. But I just want to remind you, even though you must believe, you're commanded to believe, To have faith in the finished work of Christ. That's Acts 16, I believe it's verse 31. It's in the imperative. You must believe and you will be saved. Even though that's true, it's not a work. It's not something we take credit for. Look again, if you would, at Romans 3.27 and you'll see that it's the case. In fact, they're, they're, they're in different categories where it says, where then is the boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? So we've got works in the context. No, but by a law of faith. Faith and works are in different categories. Verse 28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Different categories altogether. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is the same way. And we won't take the time to go there. Faith is depending upon another. Depending upon Christ because I can't do it. So I'm going to let Him do it for me. That makes it a non-work. And if I remember that, He's the hero, I'm not. I praise Him, not myself. I see others as those who are like me and bought by Him. Even the church changes. Another important truth about faith, this is number three, we'll do four, and then a grand and hopefully charged conclusion. Number three, Your faith is not rewarded with salvation. Please let me explain that. I'm getting close to saying the wrong thing, but I'm saying it that way on purpose. Your faith, or my faith, if I were writing it down, is not rewarded with salvation. Think about that. If that were to have just come out of your mouth and I were to say, seems like it to me, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. That sounds like my faith is rewarded with salvation. Explain it. The reason I want to bring it up is because when you talk about rewarded with, it's assuming that you are doing something, you are doing a work that is meritorious, that is going to then secure or gain the favor of God. And if your faith is rewarded with salvation, then you can boast. Because somehow you are smarter than the rest of us. Somehow you, you are maybe better educated or born into a better family or something than every most other people on the planet. 
And so what you did, what Jesus did, what he did, and then what you did was believe it, and God rewarded your belief, your good belief, and now you're saved. And now salvation, again, is a partnership. And now there's room for boasting. When we look at faith as somehow that, you know, that just the last work that needs to be done. You know, Jesus did it all, kind of, most. And, and now all that's left is for me to do my part and then God will reward me. You know, it's going to look a lot like you guys are going to be congratulating each other. Jesus, you died for me. Thank you. And then I believed in you. And, oh, good job for believing, Pat. You were better than some of those other people were. They didn't believe. You know, that's not how the Bible presents it to us. And I'm not saying there isn't a certain sense of mystery in all of this that I can't quite get my mind around. But when we read Romans together, which we've been doing, chapter 1, verse 18 and following, those people are not good people. They don't do the right things. They're under the wrath of God. Chapter 2, those people who are... uh, Moral good do-gooders, they don't do it for the right reasons. They're sinners too. They're under the wrath of God. They don't do good. Chapter, uh, then we move on. The religious people, they sin too. Um, They're they're under the wrath of God too. And then finally, remember where we get to in chapter 3, verse 9. Both Jews and Greeks, that's everyone on the planet, are all under sin. I mean, if God is looking to reward someone for believing, He's not finding anybody. It's universal condemnation. Then verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God through you know, meritorious belief or something. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. For me to conclude that faith is somehow what I do to then earn the favor of God so He rewards me with salvation is for me to totally forget about Romans 1, 2, and 3a. Because the evaluation and conclusion there is nobody does good, no, not one. He's not finding anyone that He can reward for having faith. We're all a bunch of spiritual deadbeats. He calls us to believe, yes. We must believe, yes. That's Acts 16.31. But... Whatever faith is, whatever belief is, whatever trust and dependence upon Christ is, it's never looked at as something that you do to somehow earn favor with God. It is you throwing yourself at the mercy of God, yes. It is you trusting, leaning upon Christ, yes. But it's never viewed in the category of something you do that somehow is going to get you an attaboy. Because you're smarter, better, more sophisticated, or more educated than someone else. Now, the last one relates to this one that might help a little bit. When it really gets down to it, even faith is a gift from God. Even faith is a gift from God. Now, logically, that comes through in Romans. Because of the exercise we just went through, I can say that. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, final nail in the coffin, boom! No one does good No, not one. Is faith good? Believing in God good? Absolutely it is. No, not one. Ultimately, faith has got to come from somewhere other than within Pat's good little heart. Because Pat's good little heart isn't a good little heart. Now, we don't have to do it logically in other places. 
If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, you'll see that faith is a gift from God. Realize we're perhaps, you know, mining a little bit deeper than normal, but we've got to really understand that salvation is, as the Bible says, of the Lord. (laughs) Or we'll never praise Him like He should be praised. It just won't happen. It's all of Him. Now, as you're turning to Philippians 1, I'll just give you another text you could write down, and that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Passage we know well. But think about it and listen carefully. Chapter 2, verses 1 and following say, unbelievers are dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people don't believe. They don't do anything. They're spiritually dead. So, how can I believe, even though I'm responsible to? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, you've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Pointing back to the whole package, I believe, it's not of yourselves. You've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. Even the faith is a gift. And it has to be a gift because you're dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 See, depravity really is bad. So in the end, when I do believe in Jesus for me, it's not meritorious, my belief. Even my believing in Jesus, which I must do, is somehow traceable back to God. And you see it here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He says in verse 29, For to you, talking to Christians, it has been granted, that's a word for grace, it has been given to you freely, it has been granted for Christ's sake, notice two things, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. I'd encourage you to draw those lines where appropriate. Granted to believe. Granted to suffer. You know what Paul's doing there? He's assuming that those folks have good theology. He's assuming they have a good enough theology to understand that even faith comes from God. He's assuming, now I'm going to be a little bit cute here and and move forward in history, he's assuming the Philippians are not Pelagians. Faith somehow comes from you independent. He's assuming they're not Arminians. That somehow faith comes from you and is independent. He's assuming they know the ABCs, which would include everyone knowing that even faith comes from God. Because don't we all know Ephesians 2? Not just 8 and 9, but 2, 1, 2, and 3. Don't we all know Romans 1, 2, and 3? He's assuming that. And so based upon his assumption, he says to them, not only that, let me tell you something that might surprise you. Just as your faith has been granted by God as a free gift, you didn't earn it. It's not meritorious. Suffering for the cause of Christ has been granted to you. To identify with the man of sorrows, what a privilege. Isn't it interesting? I can't make those assumptions. And as you're talking to your friends, your professing Christian friends, you can't make those assumptions assumptions either. 
It's no wonder we have a very, very difficult lot in trying to explain a biblical view of suffering to even Christians. Because they don't have a biblical view of the gospel. They don't have a biblical view of faith. We, we have to go way, way back, rewind, let's reestablish what the gospel is, and then we can start talking about practical living. Even faith comes from God as a gift from Him. This brings up all kinds of questions. I know that. And uh, we're not going to talk about them this morning. But if you go back now, I hope after that exercise, to Romans 3, verse 27, I hope this is reinforcing just how profound it is when we read in verse 27 of chapter 3, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. Context is, in Christ, apart from works of the law. There it is. And my great, passionate prayer for you, if you are a Christian, my, my great pastoral prayer and desire for you as a Christian, I can summarize it this way, I think. Is, is my whole ministry, all of life, is that you get this. You get nothing else that you get the fact that it really, 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 really is by grace alone. That it really, really, really is through faith alone. That it really, really, really is therefore in Christ alone that you would get it, get it, get it. Because if you get it, get it, get it, then you're not going to be arrogant. You're not going to be prideful, whether it be your relationship to others here, others outside of this place, or more significantly in your relationship with God. You will worship Him. You will praise Him differently. You really, really, really will believe that it is all about the Lamb who is worthy, not in mutual worthiness. I mean, this is, this is everything to me. Absolutely everything to me as a pastor. If you're a Christian, I want you to get this. If you're not a Christian, I want you to get this. You are a sinner. Guess what? We all are. Read Romans 1, 2, and 3. And you know what? We're all in the same boat. You need perfect righteousness. And you don't have it. And neither do I. Neither does anyone else. That's why God had His Son come. And when Jesus came, He obeyed God's law perfectly. He loved God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He loved His neighbor as Himself. That summarizes the law. God's expectations. And he did it for sinners like you and sinners like me. Then he, he experienced the wrath of God, which was justly poured out on him as he was dying for us. Because the wages of sin is death. It's the right thing for God to judge sinners. He judges his son in place of sinners. His son rises from the dead, showing to everyone that the father was satisfied with the sacrifice of the son, that he truly was, as Romans 3 says, propitiated, satisfied. And the call upon your life now is to believe, not in belief, but in the finished work of Christ. And even to know if you believe in Christ, ultimately at the end of the day, you're going to give Him the credit for that too. Now my secondary passion, primary passion as a pastor, that we would get this. Secondary passion is that we would so get this that we would tell other people about this. That you would be so equipped to have a deep enough well to own this stuff that you can't help yourself but boast in Christ. 
and tell about how great Christ is. Whether you're talking to your evangelical friend or your unbelieving friend, you're just busy telling them about how great Christ is and it's all of Him. He gets all of the glory. I just can't encourage you enough to do that. And there's a huge need. We know there's a huge need. Romans 1 talks about the fact that unbelievers boast but in the wrong things. And that's categorized under their sin. That's in Romans chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. Religious people, the Jews, chapter 2, verse 23, boast in the law as if somehow it's going to get them to heaven. So we know it's a problem. I'm just encouraging you to be a good spokesman, to be a good spokeswoman there for the grace of God where you're out living your life, whether it's in your cubicle or, or wherever it might be, in school, in classes, or across the fence, wherever it is, you're there ready to talk about how boasting is not in self, boasting is in Christ. And you've got great opportunities, and so do I. You know, just ask someone a basic question. Something like, you know, on what basis do you plan to go to heaven? Or do you plan to go to heaven? Or what kind of relationship with God do you have? Or, you know, you use wisdom based upon the scenario. And so many times you're going to hear, I am a good person. I have never killed anyone. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I go to Omaha Bible Church. I am a pastor and I have a theological education. I have been baptized. I have done short-term missions. I am a Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Bible church member. You fill in the blank. I, 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 I. You've just been given your open door. They don't get the gospel. There's no way in a million years they get the gospel. Unless they say, I am a what? I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm a filthy, rotten dog in the eyes of God and I offend Him every day of my life. I'm going to say that to the per next person that tries to evangelize me. You know? I, by the way, I love to be evangelized. It's just the best. I wish I got evangelized more. I am a sinner before God. I deserve to go to hell. Or my only hope is Christ. Or how about even better, first words out of my mouth, Jesus Christ is my righteousness and I'm depending solely upon Him. See, it's easy to tell who's a believer and who's not a believer. Who do you boast in? What do you boast in? Final question. With the risk of giving you whiplash. So is there ever a place, I mean, to boast? What's the answer? Yes! Christians should be the biggest braggarts on the planet. We should brag, 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 brag all of the time. Right? He said, Pat, you need to listen to your own sermon. What's your problem? <laughs> both are true we don't boast in self but we boast in Christ all of the time by not boasting in self 
This is this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I love verse 31. So that just as it is, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's His doing, by His doing that you're saved, not your own. Or how about... Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But may it never be, not in a bazillion years, that I would boast, comma, not period, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm the biggest braggart on the planet, Paul says. I'm always telling about how in Christ and in Christ alone you can find hope and in Christ and Christ alone you can find forgiveness and you can find the righteousness that you so desperately need. I'm always speaking about Him. My whole life is about Him. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, to live is Christ. Christ. That is another way of saying my whole life, whether it be the way I work, the way I preach, the way I parent, the way I function in my marriage, the way I do business, is boasting in Christ. To live as Christ. It's interesting when we look at all those categories, some of the ones I just mentioned, they're all traced back to the cross in one way or another in the Christian life. My marriage should be traced back to the cross. That's Ephesians 5. I can boast of the cross by acting the right way in my home. I can boast of the cross by acting the right way with my children. I can boast of the cross by acting the right way with my employer, and the list could go on. It's good stuff. It's just fantastic and phenomenal that we can live this kind of life of boasting. Not in ourselves, but boasting in Christ alone, even as that great song we sang said. Let me end by saying, boasting in Christ is heavenly. Go home and read Revelation chapter 7. And it's what they do in heaven. Don't be someone who never boasts. Don't be someone who never brags. Christians are supposed to brag because we're so impressed with Christ. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for all the events of the day. It has been a whirlwind for me and for so many. Thank you for the folks who even boast in Christ by serving, serving the rest of us. Thank you for uh, the great time we have together as we study your word together. I trust that this would be a, a good day for us to boast in Christ, to speak of His greatness, to speak of His majesty, to live for Christ, to die for Christ, all along, pointing away from ourselves and pointing to Him. In His name we pray, amen.